Everybody, welcome to Junkyard Theory. This is episode number 14. And tonight's guest is somebody who's been in the comic book industry for quite a while. And, and he's also worked on quite a few film productions. And he also designed the White Walkers from the hit phenomenon Game of Thrones. Uh, please welcome William Simpson. William, thank you so much for joining. Thank you very much, uh, Kash, for asking me. My pleasure. How's it been over there? How's the pandemic been suiting you guys? Um, I think it's probably the same as everywhere else in the world. I mean, the mm -hmm. the um, the logistics are a bit uh, awful. They, they, um, uh, there seems to be quite a lot of deaths, um, a lot of people hospitalized. But uh, I've spent the last year at home. Uh, like, working away at home and uh, any of the jobs that have come through uh, I, you know I get asked can you work from home and I said absolutely of course and uh, and I've actually I've learned more about gardening in the last year than I ever had in my life and I've, I've been <laughs> digging ponds as well you know to, uh, to pass the time and it's like we, we, for once in our lives we had a really 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 hot um, uh, summer last year or period of okay. yes, which is well, not your kind of heat, but our kind of heat. And the thing was, um, uh, it, it was just amazing because because um, we spent so much time in the day in the outside. So so I, I went out and I dug holes and I planted flowers and I and I built ponds and small walls <laughs> things. And then I would come in like towards the end of the afternoon, and then I would start work, and then you'd work through the evening uh, into the morning um because my, my whole cycle changed again so i became a night worker <laughs> so you, you you've been learning uh you know gaining new skills at the same time gardening i mean that's, that's oh yeah that, that's miles something. away from storyboarding <laughs> absolutely but it's an it's artistic gardening you know you go out there and you plant by color i get instructions on it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome wendy my wife she says Planted there, planted there, planted huh? there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so essentially, she's directing your garden storyboarding, yeah? Uh, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> Although, I, I, I have a tendency to override certain things. <laughs> oh, I'm going left with this tree. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, yeah. that's brilliant. Well, it, but it's, it's awesome. even, I haven't missed, actually, not too much. I haven't missed... Um, mm -hmm. Uh, being out because when, once you accept that this is the way you're meant to be you actually mm -hmm. you know and because it's artwork that i do i mean you you spend so much of your time just being creative at home you know it doesn't matter you're in a room anyway which you would be if you were going to work in a studio or if you're going to work in your own studio you'd be in a room so, so i do miss i do miss the the um, ability to get out and photograph a lot of stuff you know, I mean, I, I, I normally have a camera with me everywhere. That's, that's uh, I want to kind of come back to that process. Like, okay. you, you know, you take pictures for reference, but could you kind of like uh, tell us a little bit about, like, you know, how did you get into storyboarding? Like, give us a little bit of an origin story about yourself. Okay. Well, okay. Well, the, 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 the origin for storyboarding is basically uh -huh. that I'd done whatever it was, 15 years of drawing comic strips at the time. 
whenever the first kind of film thing happened. And I, I was I was wandering about um, uh, in London after a convention, and I, I bumped into a friend who asked me about um, what I was doing at that time. And of course, I wasn't doing very much in particular. I was actually in between uh, comic jobs, and. Um, he said, would you be interested in storyboarding our low-budget feature film? And I said, how low-budget? <laughs> and, um, and it was low-budget, but the point was that I thought, how difficult can it be? You know, I mean, it's 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 kind of like a, a comic strip anyway. And um, I said, yeah, I'd be interested. And I read the script, and it was uh, uh, a um, kind of slightly futuristic um, thriller thing and um mm -hmm. not not enough so that you know it's loads of rocket ships going about the place but it was a slightly futuristic film called 24 hours in london and it went you know it was straight to video in those days um it wasn't even dvd it was to video and um the thing was um I, I did it from home i i i i had come back to to um uh, where i lived and i um i was basically drawing my storyboards in the day, faxing them over to the company uh, in the evenings. And two days later, they would be shooting something. And it was just this crazy thing. And I kind of liked that. I, I enjoyed that. And then in, I got involved in the, the Northern Irish uh, film kind of fraternity. Um, and that, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not exactly sure how that happened. I think it was probably to do with a bar somewhere uh, at some point and a conversation, <laughs> which, then, which then led to me doing some work on a couple of short films. Um, and, I, and it was kind of design work. Um, the, the, the one that I remember well was um, uh, a design job on a little short called Tonight We Fly. And it's about two aging superheroes that meet up for one last kind of, uh, you know, uh, fight as superhero, supervillain. It's kind of very Alan Moore, if you think about it. It's that, it's that kind of story that he would have done. Um, and, and the thing was, um, I got asked to come down to set uh, on the Sunday when they were when they were shooting. And um, I thought, oh, that would be really nice. So so I, w I went down to see the film set because I hadn't mm -hmm. been on before. And um, uh, somebody handed me a sandwich and a small bottle of beer. And I thought, well, this is fantastic. Is this how films are done? And I got to see the <laughs> thing. And I kind of realized, well, I actually really like this. And, and then it kind of, uh, there was, there was um, I ended up doing animation work with my brother, who was a, um, a CGI animator. And we had our little company for a couple of years, um, uh, Rogue Rocket. And um, that, that involved going to Cannes TV marketplace for um, about mm. five years, I think it was, um, trying to push the animation projects we were doing. And that also, during that time, got me into writing film scripts and stuff because um, we, we started to... Um, to work on ideas, of course, that were our own. And so we had to, you know, when we came up with the ideas, then it was a case of somebody writing the things. So I got to write, to start writing scripts, which I've continued to this day. And um, uh, just like yourself, it's one of those things where you write short films, you write feature films, and you hope that somewhere down the line you may actually get to make them. Because that's the yeah. other thing that happened to me in that, in that period of time as well. I got to direct some stuff because uh again most of my life is through flukes it's through accidents 
and um, and it's it's just a fact that accidents happen to me, but in a good way. And um, and the thing was, that, I mean, man, I must have done something to get this good karma going about it. Great. Anyway, the the, the thing is that um, with um, with um, within Rogue Rocket, uh, we had a music video to do where I'd storyboarded up this this music video and and had all these these ideas into it, and we had three. You know, you know when you get money together and you get them from different sources, and mm -hmm. we had these three pots of money, and one of the pots went went. It 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 was decided these people wouldn't back us, so we still oh. had two pots of money, but not the third part. And the third part was meant to pay for a director and a oh. cinematographer. Now the thing was, the guys we we sat there and thought, well, do we lose the the other two pots of money, or do we try and do something here? And they all turned to me. You storyboarded it. You can direct it. I mean, it's it's not that big a step. Well, I mean, because it's a short, you know, it's a music video. It's it's so so. I thought to myself, well, all right, why not? Let's try it. And um, and there was a couple of guys working with us who um, were great doing camera work. So we planned it out. We 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 talked to the the band and we went and shot a load of stuff and we uh -huh. went that I had kind of designed in the storyboards we find the places to go to and uh, I made uh, you know this first uh, music video and um, it's great claim to fame is that it was shown publicly at a Metallica concert in Dublin where everybody booed at it because it wasn't metal <laughs> <laughs> Music video, <laughs> and um, <laughs> so Ooh, we decided to screen it. There, it was brilliant. It was brilliant because the the thing was, you ended up with uh, you. You know, I mean, I, I heard about it and it ended up on MTV Two or something. Once upon a time, uh -huh. so it's it's just one of those weird things. And, and then from that, we did another music thing, and then um, I got to do. And this is all over a little period of time. I ended up uh, people suggesting I put in for a short film. So I, I, I put in three scripts for a film commission um, kind of uh, competition thing. And they said, well, which one of them do you want to do? They thought that all three were, were fine. And I thought, excellent. So I did the one that I assumed would be easiest. And, um, and it was only when we started looking at the logistics of it. You know the way, OK. Somebody asks you for your ideal setting, you know, you know, how, you know, what mm -hmm. way do you want this film to be? And I'm saying, well, I want beautiful sunshine, and I want, I, I want, you know, light coming through the trees and dappling against the wall, shadows against yeah. the wall, and all of that beautiful warmth that you get. And of course, the cameraman looked at me and said, "Are you kidding? It's Northern Ireland." And <laughs> you know, it's like it's like you guys. Yes, you must have beautiful sunshine and wonderful torrential rains and stuff. And it must be absolutely gorgeous. Time, yeah, you're almost guaranteed at least what the light's going to look like. Well, over here, we had had a whole year where every day it was different. Every day it would go. It would be raining. It would be. It would be sunny. It would be dull. It would be windy. It would be something. But the, you couldn't get a consistency. And you know, I, you know, the guy, the guys were asking me. And I just ideally, that's what I would like. And it got it got postponed for 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 the weekend it was meant to be shot, and and luckily it did because it poured with rain. But the weekend that it was due to go ahead, we walked out first thing in the morning, and 
the sky was clear, they were blue, the sun was coming up and shining all over the place. And I was on a I was on a street corner, two two roads, like, you know, oh it doesn't doesn't yeah. work well enough. It's not a three D. <laughs> two roads together. <laughs> yeah. at, 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 around the corner. It's called cornered. Anyway, the thing was the um uh the light we the rather poor class said the light was going to be like this for two days. You know, the sun was going to be there for two days. Oh. And we had two days on this short shooting in absolutely perfect sunlight. And um and it was on the last shot, the very last shot, as as my character's walking away down the street, the clouds started to come over and it started to rain. Right at the end, and I just came away going, Thank you, thank you. It was it was like yeah, something something was doing something. It was it was absolutely superb. And um yeah, it's just a little short. Now it never got seen anywhere because um there was sound issues that I, I've still to this day um not quite um sorted out. But I used it to get um directing work for a couple of commercials. So I, I, I got to do a couple of commercials on the basis of that and thought, wow, I'm now into the new business of, of directing advertisements for TV. And just as everything was going fine, the bottom dropped out of the advertising market over here in Northern Ireland, and suddenly, oh. and suddenly, uh, producers weren't paying any money to get people to do things. And it was like, in fact, the producers were directing themselves. So I, I sort of, I sort of went, "Well, there you go," and I went back into drawing uh, my pictures again, which I hadn't stopped doing, obviously. Um, but it started me writing more and more film scripts, and it also started me storyboarding uh, and doing concept work on on different projects mm. so that so that the the next actual feature film that i got to do was it's it's a there's a, a british writer called spike milligan well he's he's half irish or totally irish i'm not sure anyways he's a, he's he's mm -hmm. a, a, a he was a comedy writer way back um in the time when television was black and white anyway he he wrote a book called pukun and pukun not Cocoon, Cocoon okay. um, is um, is is um, a story about being crazy and Irish and and um, and the border being drawn up and um, and people living in a bar where there was a, there was a line down the center of the bar which was the border and so people on this side were paying more than people on this side for drinking in the same bar and all these sorts of crazy <laughs> things. It was really weird, um, strange strange story, but I got to do. A couple of weeks storyboarding on that, and then I got to do six weeks of standby prop or assistant standby prop because they had this other job going. And I thought, hey, wow, that would be good. Does that mean I'm on set? And they said yes all the time. And I said, fantastic. And so I learned more about filmmaking and what not to do um, in my six weeks on set than I ever would have worked. It was and how do you think that helped you the the storyboarding process you know being on set because normally storyboard artists don't really end up on set but you've been yeah. there you've directed commercials short films music videos so how did that experience kind of play into the storyboarding process has it in any way it was has it has it played into uh the, you know your storyboarding process I think everything does. I think every single thing we bump into in life plays into the storyboarding process. I think, I think, um, because there's the, the one great thing about being on set and um, mm -hmm. uh, seeing a set and seeing locations 
was that you got a better understanding of the things that you'd already drawn or the things that you were going to draw, um, mm. certainly in future jobs, because once I'd done my first couple of weeks storyboarding on, on that film, uh, there was no more storyboarding work. That's why I took on the other job. Um, but the great thing was seeing some of the stuff that you'd been working on start to play out. And um, uh, it was it was really, it was kind. I mean, uh, um, the, the director had said at the time he wished that they'd had more time to storyboard more stuff, which would have been good because it was one of those films, you know, where somebody does like 27 takes of everything and you're actually, you're actually looking at it going, but you had it take three. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, it's very it's a very double-edged sword and very interesting experience but i but i um ah, it was the best thing for me to do i mean and bumping into into some of the crazy actors as well was fantastic and um i i kind of um i just got a, a much better sense because it was a big team thing but then the next film that i got to do and that came out of working on this uh, film Pekun, because a friend of mine was a sound engineer who um who said that they were making a pretty big movie down in Dublin and I should actually send them down some of my work. And um, uh, it was uh, um, Spyglass, I think, was was the name of the company um, doing it. So I got, in I got in touch with them and uh, it was near Christmas because we finished uh, Pekun, um, uh pretty near Christmas. So I rang them up and asked, you know, could I come, you know, come down and show you some work? And um, they said, if you really want to, you know, I mean, it's it's like it's very near Christmas. There may not be anybody here. And I said, well, mm -hmm. is, is there an art director or something? And they said, yeah, there'd probably be an art director. And I said, well, would you mind if I came down to the studios? And they said, if you really want to. So I kind of, you know, took a, a bit of my day because it was 100 miles to Dublin. So I get in my car, go down to Dublin and I um I got to the studios, late-ish, because uh, traffic was horrendous there. Get, get, it was near Christmas. Anyway, I, I get there, and I, um, uh, I start showing my portfolio to um, the production manager, and she's going through the, she's going through the, the and she suddenly stops and goes, I guess, um, actually, would you like to talk to one of our supervising art directors? And I'm going, okay, thinking to myself, they only said there was going to be an art director here. So they arranged for me to go out to meet Jonathan, uh, Jonathan McKinstry, who's gone on to bigger and better things. So I go out to, to meet Jonathan and um, he starts looking through the portfolio and he's going, ah, yes, well, hold on a second. And he, he, he picks up the phone and he makes a phone call and I hear these footsteps upstairs and, and there's a doom, 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 coming across the floor and down mm. the steps comes this little small German guy who is this amazing um, production designer as it turns out called Wolf Kroger and um, so Wolf's going through my portfolio and he's going yeah yeah nine yeah nine nine yeah 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 nine yeah so there was more yas than nines and he said you will start in January and I go I, uh, as what? And he says, as as um, a, you know, um, uh, a production illustrator. You know, you know, uh, you start in January. And I went, well, thank you very much. And so I went away that Christmas with a job to to come back and do um, illustration, nice. work, concept illustration work. And um, uh, under Wolf's, oh my God, this man was amazing. And this was my first big movie, which was a film called Rain of Fire. Which is a big dragon movie with Christian Bale yeah. and Matthew 
McConaughey and so on. And um, I got to do some um, nice concept work on that and a, a storyboarded um, ending that was never used. <laughs> but it's all it's all these great things that you 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 know it was it was um they were doing something like five different endings trying to work out what they were wanting so I had one of them to, to storyboard so that was kind of interesting and then uh, quick question yeah. sorry, but, uh, sorry. Yeah, that's actually the question that I had that I had you know uh, jotted down what what do you feel when you know uh, something that you storyboard doesn't really end up making the cut doesn't bother me um, uh, because you're actually, you know, you're getting paid to work on this thing. So <laughs> you, you do the storyboard and, you know, you do it with all of the the interest and, and um, you know, the the care that you do you put into a storyboard. And you, you know, you're trying, especially when you know it's on spec as well, you, you actually look at it as if you're a director because they're not giving you notes on what to do. Mm-hmm. You're taking the script. And you're drawing that script, and again, it's just like doing comic work, you know, in, in yeah. a lot of ways. Except you're, you know, you're you're restricted to a frame, and you're 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 drawing extra frames that are moving figures along and camera shifting about. But the sure. point is, the point is, it's it's a it's a potentially what can be, because yeah. the other thing is though, because I've done so many storyboards that you're actually seeing them on screen, you know, you, you realize then the influence that you've had in helping make the thing happen that's really nice i mean that, i mean that, that that is a thing where where you you know you're actually pleased that your job is has uh, you know an effect on the film so it, 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 it so it doesn't bother me if you're doing something that in the end doesn't happen because you've still drawn it you've still be you know still been part of the job so that's okay Very cool. I mean, I've, I've done so many influential things that don't appear on screen. <laughs> it's been it's been actually nuts. I mean, if I showed you the work from um, the film Your Highness, which I did years later, I mean, Your Highness, I spent the first two months of that job uh, drawing concepts, and it was mm-hmm. most. There was, only, there was a couple of paintings, but most of it was drawings, drawing concepts that the guys loved, but would never appear on screen because oh. you were drawing the stuff that that, that was uh, that was going to be too expensive. It wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. But and, I mean, I, I remember. I mean, it's it's a brilliant uh, uh, kind of moment in my life where Danny McBride comes past me and um, he says, "Well, well, we need to come up with this idea." He said, "Can you draw us this, this snake creature, this this kind of dragony snake creature?" And we're, you know, it's it's lying there between two two rock surfaces, and we're going to walk across mm-hmm. the. Back. And then it start going. It's going to do all this shit, and we're going to fall off this thing, and it'll be great. And I said, "No problem, Danny." So I sit down and I draw the the piece of work and I'm really enjoying myself because I've been given such a free hand to come up with things. Next day, Danny comes back and he goes, well, well, that's fantastic. David, look at this. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. It's too expensive. We can't do it. Let's think of something else. <laughs> that's, that was, that's kind of, it, it always happens in film, doesn't it? Like budgetary constraints and all that stuff. But yeah. yeah. It, the, the, I mean, the, 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 it's one of the reasons why in a way, I mean, I for anybody doing low budget stuff, mm-hmm. if, if they get the storyboard okay. for a low budget film, you actually have. I mean, if you if you invest in that, which is you know, is you and a guy or you and a girl, whatever, doing this, doing the boards, 
um, you, you've got a plan for the, the film that you're wanting to make. It's there. It's on paper. And in a lot of ways, because you can go through that and decide, well, that's too expensive, that's too expensive, whatever, you've got it all done on paper before you go near you know, a crew of people to be out there shooting where the expense comes in. But also, it doesn't matter if you change it. The fact is, I mean, I've storyboarded my own stuff and um, gone out and on the day realized, well, no, we've got that information in this shot. We don't need to do this shot. It doesn't really add anything to it. So let's skip on to the next thing. And so, the, 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 but the point is the plan's already there so you can come in and out of it if necessary. I mean, it's, uh, it's different if it's... um. Well, it's not different. If you've got a hugely expensive movie, at least you know what it's going to cost by looking at the shots that you've you've actually designed. Yeah. So, so for low budget filmmaking, which of course, in low budget filmmaking, it's one of the first things that everybody throws out of their budget. Oh, we we can get by without a storyboard, and they can possibly, but it's it's one of those things that, um, in a lot of ways, at I mean, because. Uh, if you've directed stuff um, as as well, you know, even if you if you don't draw very well, you can still do stick figures and things and work out where exactly. things. Right, but the point is that is still a storyboard. It's still a working out um, what you're going to need. Now, the the lovely thing is if you've got somebody who can draw doing it, you're seeing it more clearly whenever it's drawn. Uh -huh. And um, and I'll, and I mean, my experience of of seeing directors at work and so on, I've seen where it works. I've seen I've seen where it's not been needed. I mean, if if it's a if it's a story that's completely talking heads, you know, you're you're, you're not really going to need it. Yeah, know? it's just going to be the couple of um, camera angles. But I still, for my own stuff, I still like to make sure that I've drawn that in. Okay. And and how did the you know how did the job for Game of Thrones come about? Uh, I was working on Your Highness, mm -hmm. and uh, I was working on Your Highness, and my Producer Mark Huffman uh, came to me one day and said, "Would you mind doing a bit of moonlighting?" And I said, "Okay, what what on?" And he said, "Well, there's this potential project that may be coming to time." Uh, this mm -hmm. And um, I said, um, "Well, what is it?" And he said, "I can't tell you." And I said, "Well, what?" <laughs> well, I said, "Oh, that's that's not helping." I said, "Well, what's it about?" And he said, "Well, it's kind of medieval fantasy." And I said, ah, well, we're doing that sort of on your highness anyway. I mean, it was meta, mm -hmm. meta fantasy comedy. And um, he said, well, do, would you meet the um, production designer and the supervising art director? And I said, sure, no problem. And they were the only two people in town. So I go along to this little office and um, I meet up with the two folks and um, uh, Gemma um, was the production designer then. And, and we have this chat where they they show me um, a bunch of castles and things, and um, uh, I'm gi I'm given little bits of description, but there's no headers on it to tell me what it is. And uh -huh. so, um, so I said, okay, no problem. So I had to go away and draw a bunch of castles, a bunch of knights in armor, um, uh, some giant wolves, and a couple of beheadings, and I I kind of. Um, <laughs> So I did this stuff and um and I handed it back into the um uh the the two folks and um 
I all I knew was it was going away to America and that was it. So I came away thinking, oh, wow, an American company. Brilliant. Excellent. That'll be fun. Um, go back to my day job on uh, on your highness, um, because the, the stuff I did for this project was the weekends and a couple of nights. So I go, I go, I go back to my, my day job on your highness and I'm working my way through your highness, enjoying this crazy stuff, because as I say, I did I did. Um, I did loads of concept work and then I had a break for a week and they bought me back as a storyboarding artist to do the storyboards, which was great fun. Anyway, so I, um, I'm, I'm sitting there working on something and Mark Huffam comes to me and says, um, we've got a Game of Thrones. And I said, is that what I was working on? And he said, yes. And, he, and I said, well, does that mean I have a job on it? And he said, absolutely. <laughs> so, so the thing was, when I finished Your Highness, and I, I mean, it, it's really strange saying it, but I mean, it was really funny because it was a Wednesday, I think it was. I finished on the Wednesday and on the Thursday, I was on to um, uh, Game of Thrones. You know, I had my couple of days before the weekend. And um, uh, the nice thing was David and Dan knew my comic work and stuff. And um, so there, there was this almost straight away, they kind of knew that they had somebody who could deal with a bunch of different stuff like this. And um and got on the best with everybody there and it was like i was i was drawing for all these different departments which is why which is why the white walkers thing came up because the the first job i did on on game of thrones was and this is on the pilot was designing the weapon the hero weapons for our characters so oh. you know ice and needle and long claw and and um uh there, there's a whole host of of major weapons uh that i um got to design and that carried on into the first series i got to do a bit more stuff um but the the um and then i and then i did a couple of carriages for cersei and um did a painting of the godswood tree you know to, to kind of because a lot of the stuff that i would do as concepts was stuff to kind of um make people get started talking about what it was that they, mm -hmm. they wanted you know so it'd be a starting point for loads of things anyway the white walkers um the guys came to me and said one day you know we need white walkers um uh would you have a crack at those and i say sure and i sat down and i started off doing a bunch of paintings on the white walkers and um that was the basis then for what they would become now remember you go from a, a painted image to uh, guys working in a prosthetics room or, or, or you know, and also yeah. trying to, was, was it going to be a CGI thing or was it going to be a real person? And and I know they did a combination of elements in there. So so what comes out on screen isn't absolutely the thing that I painted or anything, but the thing that I painted informed what came out on screen. So, you know, it, it, it's what it is. It's It, it was the starting point. So it's brilliant. And um, and you really now that's something you know you were saying earlier about um, uh, you know when you do a piece of work and it doesn't appear on screen. Well, mm. the great the great thing with with Game of Thrones was everything that you did was going to be up there. You know the the, the storyboards for a TV um, uh, series. You know certainly in a fantasy world thing or a science fiction thing or whatever, they're going to be really tight. They're going to be something where the director is asking you to do them because they actually serve a purpose. So you, you're, you're, yeah. you know, and I, and you know, the opening scene in, in game of Thrones, um, the very opening stuff that I did with, um, with Tim Van Patten, you know, we knew that the opening sequence was meant to grab everybody and that was it. Wow. Yeah. I was going to, and, and we were out in the forest, um, looking all around the location 
that was going to be all snowed up, which of course at this moment in time it's beautiful sunshine and it's in the afternoon and it's 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 lovely. But we went round the location working out where people would be, where they would be looking from, you know, you know what were going to be the viewpoints, um, uh, what yeah. was what was going to take place, how we were seeing it, and uh, and I took my notes and. Um, did little scribbles and went back to the to the studio and got on with that stuff. And then Tim had to present it to the HBO um, producers, the money people, to to kind of uh, say to them, "Well, this is what we're thinking." And it got approved instantly. And he came out and told me, he said, "You know, we got it. It's it's done." And um, and that's a really lovely feeling. And then and then when you actually see it having been filmed, and it is what you storyboarded. That that's great because again, again, as I say, it's a justification for the for you know the work that you do. It's it's um, it's basically you, uh, you, your, your your position has some kind of meaning, you know. And that's yeah, and, uh, no, no, but but this is the thing, and you know this from from doing your own stuff is that there's a realization that every single job in a film crew is so yeah. important. From from you Very know. There's this guys at the top getting all the cash. Um, there's the guys in the middle getting really good cash, but in a, in a certain level, and 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 um, you know they're doing their stuff every day. And then there's all the folks that are that are they would consider at the bottom in a, in a way. Um, but the people at the bottom are feeding the people at the top. The people at the bottom yeah. are keep, are keeping everybody going. And this is and it's one of the things that I love about the actual film. Uh, production itself when you're actually you know on the shooting crew uh, in any kind of way and um, I remember just going back to um, the fact that I'd, I'd, I'd done some shorts myself and I remember the very first day on the first short where um, I'm sitting we've already shot um, two, uh, two, two setups and um, the third setup's being done. We we're moving across the road. We're setting up in this corner, and this is where all, oh. all the mission's going to take place. And I'm looking at the the monitor with a hood over my head because it's so beautifully sunlit outside, and it's going to you know bleach out that screen. So I'm sitting with this hood over my head, and I'm just looking at this beautiful wide screen shot that I've got because I wanted to film it as if it was the greatest film ever made, and it was going to be widescreen. There I am with mm -hmm. my letterbox i'm looking at it and I'm, my actress sarah is there and the walls drifting away this way and there's a line of trees drifting away and um, she looks great and the sunlight's hitting her perfectly and i'm just grinning and somebody lifts the hood and hands me in a cup of black coffee and i haven't asked for it and i thought yes <laughs> this is what filming is all about <laughs> and so that's and this is the point and this is the thing when, when, when i remember on game of thrones you know all those days where where you had the um you know the uh, assistants and runners and stuff running about coming into you and looking for your lunch order oh my god man it was just it was just all the things you don't have to think about they're covering you know within that production office and with within all the people that are ferreting about and that's nothing to do yet with the actual um the actual uh, production being filmed and yeah. and then it's the same when you get on Crew, where where you know there's the assistance of the assistance of the assistance of the assistance and so on, and you've got this line of people, and every single one of them is in there doing their bit. It's just, brilliant. Um, yeah. Anyway, there there you go. Yeah. It's that it's that <laughs> collaboration. Yeah, it's it's just it's just interesting to me, you know. To, to, yeah, it's, it's perfectly fine. I mean, like uh, I had absolutely no idea that 
you you've been on set like you directed stuff before because uh, this coming from a storyboard artist i'm i'm like fascinated as well so <laughs> my, my, my question is did you ever have any sort of like any inkling of an idea that game of thrones would turn out to be the massive phenomenon that it did become no because um you know one of the things uh, people always ask you you know did you read the books i hadn't read the books i mean it was one of the i didn't know anything about game of thrones you know to to, to me game of thrones was just um i don't even think i'd heard of it um whenever i got asked to do you know, the, the moonlighting job and and the the crazy thing is, you know, I was a big fan of Conan the Barbarian. The Robert E. Hard stories, you know, are brilliant. And I've read the paperback versions and I've read all the, you know, well, a lot of the comic book versions, which, again, I grew up with. And um, so, the, so the that kind of prehistory fantasy world for me was something, you know, brilliant. I just loved it. I loved. And then, of course, when I got into my interest in, um, uh, in a way, the gods of the world and 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 the the archaeological kind of uh, reference pointing to everything in this blooming uh, planet and you and you're seeing the most amazing things and and the most amazing myths that are being talked about and the most you know all this stuff that that they tell us you know is is um uh before humanity and then you find out that they find something that's much older than the time period that they think about so then you're into fantasy world of prehistory you're into this gorgeous yeah. kind of rich environment of of ancient cities and crumbling cities and you know ancient civilizations that inhabited these places and so game of thrones was like that i mean for me it was like stepping into a perfect kind of conan story i mean i was i was when i read the first script you know it, it was i mean it was great you're suddenly wow what happens next so then mm. i figured I better read the book. So, so I read, I read uh, the first book, and um, uh, you know, it's a, it was a great story. I mean, a great yarn, and uh, and I knew that that was then. I mean, going to be the first season of Game of Thrones, and gotcha. e even while we were working on it, you know, again, it's like all these things. You're trying to do your best, your best job on whatever it is. You're you're putting in. Mm -hmm everything that you can do and you're watching people creating this stuff um and um designing things that uh you know you're so stunned by because what you know when a set goes up and you're looking at the set and you're thinking wow and you're in that world you know you walk around it yeah. and there you are and it's it's one of the things that i've loved about anything to do with film sets that i've seen you know we we did a movie over here um called uh city of ember and it's not a great movie but the set was stunning it was phenomenal and you could get lost in it i you know there's all these little corridors and alleyways that were built into it and so th this is the thing with with walking around um, a studio and you're and you're you're delving into these sets it's very easy to get yourself into the mindset you know that that that, um, that allows you to really start feeling this world out. Anyway, so that's the thing with, with Game of Thrones. The more they built and the more we saw the actors doing their thing. And, and I mean, those first couple of seasons, I was called over to set quite a lot because the directors were, were um, you know, tight on time. And uh, mm -hmm. the only time they'd get to talk to me was if I went over, you know, if we had to do corrections and things, you'd go over to, the, go over to set and in between their takes, 
you would be having a chat with the director and the actors would be wandering around, you know, off waiting in the background and stuff, having their cups of tea. And um, and uh, and you'd, you'd have a discussion with the director. Then they'd go and do a next the next take and you'd wait. And then you'd have the next discussion with the director. And all the time, you as a fan of film are sitting there enjoying this whole experience of, wow, I'm a die lucky I'm getting to sit here on set and watch these people, you know, doing their thing and chatting to some of them. And it's fantastic. And um, and uh, just you had great hopes for that first season. But oh, the result, I mean, from from even the, the, the opening episode, the reaction of people to it was phenomenal. And I remember I, I did a I did a convention back in the days when we could fly to places. I did a convention in, um, in um, um, Thailand, in Bangkok. And it was, I think it was their second, was it their second convention that they'd done. Um, and, um, oh my God, it was there that the HBO guys were talking to me about it. And um, I was told that, uh, you know, Game of Thrones was the most illegally downloaded um, TV series in the Eastern world. <laughs> And, and I thought that is success. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very true. I think it, it, it pretty much the same for Sri Lanka as well. Yeah. What was <laughs> I think it's pretty much the same for Sri Lanka as well. Back I would, was I yeah. would imagine it could be because it was the same yeah. in Singapore. <laughs> so, oh my god! But, but it's it's this lovely thing because all of these people are rushing up to meet you who have seen the show and you're kind of you didn't know i didn't know it was big in in thailand oh yes it is and, and everybody's watching everybody else's um, version of the damn thing anyway it was uh, it was it's really it was really interesting because you know um it's not a usual thing for for a storyboard artist to go zooming around the world and and um, and spend time at events um i mean i, I did it as a comic artist um but it's it was still a strange step, and uh, but it became great um, for for a whole bunch of years. Um, uh, and I still get asked now, which is good, except we can't go anywhere. So I've got things lined up to go to, but but we we're we're all just sitting waiting to see if COVID will actually uh, like will we all get vaccinated and will we be able to actually um, go out into the world again? Because yeah. it has to be that way. Anyway, um, so so anyway, the thing the thing is, um, I got to I mean, I got to Brazil and I got to I got to um, uh, I, I got I got to Thailand and China and um, uh, Malaysia and Singapore, um, and I did um, oh God Monaco and Japan. And um, uh, and a whole load of places in in Europe. I mean, uh, I, I go to France a lot. Um, uh, I, there's a Thessaloniki in Greece is is one of my favorite uh, conventions. It's just brilliant. And um, you know, uh, and there's a, a wonderful one in uh, Montenegro at a place called Herzegovi. And it, you ended up having this this kind of world tour thing. I mean, because I, I did I did stuff in America as well because I was out. Uh, but it was always different. Actually, it was, it was nothing to do with um, with Game of Thrones except for my Los Angeles work, because that was the, another thing that came out of doing artwork for Game of Thrones was that they were going to be doing DVD extras and Blu-ray stuff. And David and Dan had said to me, "Would you be interested in doing some of this?" And I said, "Absolutely." So, and they 
got me onto that and then um, the marketing department get me out to Los Angeles so I was I was there for about five years I would go out for for a week or, or 10 days or something and um, discuss all the stuff I was going to be doing with the guys there and then uh, see a lot of Los Angeles and then do the work when I came back home because you know whatever American American rules about working there it was it was um, ah, what do we got here we got questions the real world art and culture into the set and prop designs and such especially in doing the research and finding compatible see i think a lot of this is done all the time i mean i mean what one of the, i mean okay again you you've done your own um your own short films and you've done uh, and you're aiming for your features and stuff yeah. um i mean one of the greatest things is finding locations out there that make sense i mean even back in the days when um I when I did the, the, there's a big um, comic book that I did called um, uh, Rogue Trooper War Machine with uh, Dave Gibbons. He wrote it and I did the artwork on it, and it became pretty successful as as a book and was reprinted by Heavy Metal and it was reprinted by Tundra and it it keeps it gets its reruns every now and again. But one of the great things for that when I was wanting to get reference photos, you know, mm -hmm. an idea of certain places. Where I used to live, there was a big quarry up behind us, and um, mm -hmm. I had my brother, and he's skinny. He's he's not a he's not a big muscly rogue trooper guy, but I had him running around with um with a, a wooden easel to be the gun, and and running across <laughs> across this quarry and climbing up and inside lots of metalwork and stuff, and all of that was my referencing for ideas that were going to go into the book now that's the same kind of stuff that i would do for film except for film of course we're out there referencing locations where um we know that there's maybe going to be a build on this or we know that that, that, that we that the the landscape's perfect for things or we know um that you know it's a it's a wall it's a backdrop it's something and it's I think it's so important to be mixing those things because the real world is more incredible than stuff we're coming up with in our heads. I mean, what, what I mean, um, have you ever been to to Bangkok? Have you ever done the 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 kind of? Uh, no. uh, well, okay, but the thing about it is that I I, I take. We were talking about uh, photography earlier. I take tons of photographs of these places because oh. you're instantly realizing even the way buildings are put together. And the type of uh, the way people are, you know, hanging around these places, and people going to work, and and oh my god, um, Bangkok with with reams of motorbikes and and cars all juggling for position, and you're looking at all this stuff, and you're getting all these references, but it, but the structures that are there, you know, things like you get a, an ancient temple beside something very modern and kind of thrown yeah. together. And I mean, in Japan, it's the same. I mean, I could not stop taking photographs of Japan. Japan was, and I was in Kyoto. And it's like, again, one of the things that fascinated me there, and it's the same thing that fascinates me in a lot of America, are telegraph poles. You've got these amazing tele telegraph poles, wires coming everywhere. Because most, yeah. most of our telegraph poles have been removed and the wires are underground now. But in a lot of these countries, they don't seem to, uh, that doesn't seem to be an option because I guess with earthquakes and all sorts of things, who knows? But the point is, telegraph poles are there, wires are everywhere, buildings are are being dissected by wires. You know, there's there's all of these amazing things going on. And again, in Kyoto, you 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 you're walking down a very modern street, and there'd be a little temple 
tucked away in, in, in the street and you're looking at all this stuff and seeing the old with the new and so on. So uh -huh. I, th I hope that, that what the questioner asked, uh, if it makes sense, this, but the, the, the thing is that um, definitely the real world out there, it's so easy to, to, to think about converting it. I mean, take Blade Runner um, and the way that um, Ridley Scott based you know, I mean, it was a it was a big set design, of course, but it's based on real world with extensions, and uh, I mean, it, it's a, it's the greatest thing to go out there and and see what's there. And actually, essentially, you go out there, uh, get references, and try to you know integrate that into yes. your design as well. But uh, my question would be, you know, uh, how how does that feed into the story and the characters as well? Again. If we're talking about locations, um, it's like when they came to Northern Ireland for Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. uh, there were certain castles that existed here. There were certain um, landscapes that existed that had um, certain tree formations or whatever. And there, there was, a, and this again goes back to the other question. There's a lot of the stuff that was there's a there's a famous castle here called Dunluce Castle, which is um, a, a, a half wrecked ruin that that sits uh, on the north coast, and it was used for um, the Iron Islands, um, you know, the the Greyjoy's place. And basically, what they were able to do was to go up and film that landscape with the castle on top and add a fully formed castle to it and extra. Um, parts and um and there's a there's a rope bridge um uh, along our coast as well which i think was used for um part of the iron island stuff as well and the thing is that all of these places are in, uh, they, they, well that's two places that are in existence there's a lot of fields in northern ireland that were used where the field was used for a battlefield and um you know there's those lovely trees there in the corner but the point, the point is that um that locations certainly ancient locations are great additions to what it is that you're wanting to do um there's another um castle place in county down that was um uh oh my god um the starks home um and um again i was down on set there for a while and and it, it's just beautiful seeing how something that already is an old building gets slight conversion a few uh, you know a, a few extra bits of wood um, and suddenly you have something ancient and um, I, 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 that's all really important I, and I think that does influence the story immensely because again it's set periods of time it a, a bit of reality with fantasy makes you believe the, re the reality the whole thing becomes real it's like one of the greatest things in Game of Thrones was that everything was political intrigue and you're going through the whole first series of political intrigue. You've been hit by some kind of crazy thing at the beginning, which was the White Walkers, a glimpse of these characters. And you're wondering all the way through, what the hell was that and where are they coming? And we don't see them again until the end of the second season. But when Danny goes into the fire and she comes out and she's got dragons on her shoulders and you're going, oh, there's dragons. But it's totally acceptable because of the rest of the story having been so very realistic. So when you combine elements, when you, you know, for me, the best fantasy work is still tied in with 
something that that that's real like i mean george r, r. martin has said r r has said <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh you know it's it's like the the was it the war of the roses in, in british history and again you're dealing with a map that is has been placed in a sense across europe and, and north africa and so on and and you, you can see you know how the different types of people are are uh, are taken from the different areas of our own world um and and again robert e hard did that all those years ago when he did conan there's a map at the beginning of every conan mm. story that is that is set over you know britain but britain as a solidified mass connected to the rest of europe which it's not now anyway the point, the point is this beautiful map that, that that has all these places on it and um and again it makes when you when you when you write a story when you're telling a story it's easy for your mind to shift into what is the world like in this part of a country what you know what, what are we getting to you know if it's suddenly a hot area in north africa yeah. and you're feeling well okay the folks are going to look a bit more north african and it's yeah. and it's beautiful then because you've got You've got these combinations of elements that are much more believable. I think the show did a really good uh, task of you know setting out the layout, the geography, and everything with the intro as well, because you're taken through the whole map of the land, like you oh, said, and it changed as as the seasons yeah. went. Yeah, that, exactly. was, that was amazing, and even yeah. the Simpsons version of it was fantastic. <laughs> I know. It, 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 I, I gotta say that was one of the things that really kind of hit home was the, the the kind of when you realize the influence of uh, of Game of Thrones on things because uh, I remember on pop culture basically yeah what was that on pop culture oh yes it's so popular yeah. absolutely I was watching um, one of the Big Bang Theory episodes you know and and I'm and I'm sitting there just watching the Big Bang and there they're arguing in the comic shop over a Game of Thrones sword. And I'm looking at the sword going, wait a minute, is that one of the ones I designed? <laughs> you're, you're watching, you're watching this step on, you know, from from what you're doing, what you were doing on your daily job, and uh, suddenly all these other shows that you looked at, it was being referenced. I mean, it was being referenced in thrillers. Cops were referencing it. It was being referenced in in um, all sorts of other types yeah. of, of stories, and and you're kind of thinking. Oh my God, that's a stamp that has now been put on our universe. And here it is. And I worked on it. So it's like, wow. <laughs> How amazing is that, right? It's pretty good. Yeah. So Game of Thrones had multiple directors, you know, throughout the eight seasons. And what was it like working with people, you know, different people? And I think uh, and there's another question about, uh, uh, you know, about ideas and uh, people having difficulty uh, explaining them, but we'll come to that in a bit. But what was it like, you know, working with different directors and, uh, you know, what they wanted? Because everyone's vision is different, but you still kind of had to maintain the same coherence in style, I guess. Well, again, it's, well, the thing is, you have a drawing style as, as a, an artist, so you, you know, you're, you're fitted into the whole thing. And, um, uh, the lovely thing was that I worked very well. It seemed with with the directors. We we had five different directors usually in a season, and um, you know they would come at different times. It would be a staggered uh, line of directors. So um, start work with the first, 
and you'd be getting on with it when you'd go for a meeting then with the second director and then they would start talking about stuff that they wanted and you'd be finishing off stuff for the first director when the second director stuff would start and you'd start working on that as well as well as doing other stuff for the first director and so on and then the third director would arrive and so you get conversations with the third director and so on and so it was all this staggering thing but again it's about the same characters i mean that that, that that's the thing about the story that you you know yeah. you you have, you have these these characters that are popping up all over the place, but the reality again is that the storyboard is meant to uh, inform people about what's going to happen and and roughly how it's going to look. I mean, it's it's still, you know, one has to remember it's a guideline because the thing is, uh, and, and a guideline can be drawn in many different styles. I mean, most uh, most productions have a couple of different artists working away on them, but as long as you're tapping into what the director's wanting, and as long as the director is letting you know uh, about the particular scene and about the set that it's taking place in, and about the kind of uh, to shooting that they're wanting, you actually you get on with it. It's 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 um. You know, I, I I always say this, but it's like being a a kind of a, a minor psychologist in a way. You go in and you have a chat with the directors, and you get you you get used to them, and they get used to you, and um, it's, they, they tend to be reasonably informal discussions that end up with um with you going away and uh, and drawing up something that it comes back to them, and if there's if there's something in it that needs altered, we talk about it, and you go away and alter it, mm. and. Um, and, and that's all great. It's all okay because the other thing is you, you as well as that working with these these different directors as well. Sometimes, you know, they were looking for you to put in ideas. Some of them, and so, so that um, you know, if you think of anything that makes sense in the scene I just told you about, can you you know, uh, you know let me know? And so so there'd be there'd be some of the of the storyboards would be very concise from a director really really right on the nail and i mean uh, even those you, you sometimes have to go back and change things and then there's other ones which are much looser that are allowing you to have a little bit more input into uh into how the story unfolds but overall you're totally being guided by the director i mean that that's what your job is but the lovely thing about it is you don't really have to talk to too many other people it's just you and the director and um, and it's it's why there was a lot of times uh, during Game of Thrones where um, different directors you would only be able to get them for on a Saturday at some point um, Saturday or Sunday because you know they're two days off and if they've wanted to talk to you during the week and they haven't been able to you know you, you, because you you see this is the other nature about a show like that you you, you were so into it that you knew it's worth my while to spend an hour or two on Saturday chatting to the director, working out what we're going to do next week, because otherwise you don't get the, t the chance to do this. So you would go in and um, uh, I remember um, with Michelle McLaren, it used to be great because um, we ended up in um, the hotel she was staying in in town, the the, um, the merchant hotel, having high tea in the afternoon and, uh, and sitting, talking Game of Thrones and drawing out, drawing out storyboard roughs for uh, whatever the scenes were that you were going to draw, and and we had these great conversations, which um, actually led to me doing some storyboards for her for Wonder Woman, because originally she was meant yeah. to direct 
Wonder Woman. And I, it was one of my times in Los Angeles. We went for a dinner and sat down and worked out a bunch of boards for Wonder Woman. And I went home and drew them up, but then she walked off the project. So, um, yeah, so it it was, it was, but again, that's another nice thing that I've done in my life where there's those, these opening boards that I did for, for a film that turned out to be an, an amazing success with Patty, um, the other director. And, um, but it's so nice to have actually drawn something for that film without being the actual film with the director that was originally there. Look, it's 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 nice little stuff in your life that you do. Yeah. Again, things that never make it to anywhere. What's this? How would you make it work with someone who has the idea but finds it difficult to explain what they want? Like myself here. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> um, well, well, this is this is one of the, the questions that, that kind of ties in with what you, what you'd asked, um, which is um, again different directors do have different ways of explaining stuff, and um, I loved oh I loved working with David Nutter. David Nutter was is one of these guys who is in, inspirational to talk to. He's brilliant, and he um, and he's amazing as a director, and he's very very kind kind of man. But David would do these scribbles. He would do these these scribbles of of where things were happening in 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 a scene, you know, on a mm-hmm. set. And and I'd be looking at them because it was like, oh my god, which color, which color, which is who's what? And you would have this this scribble thing that David knew what these scribbles were, but I couldn't. I find it really difficult interpreting those. But I would be sitting as he would talk. I would I would make my notes do my little roughs and be showing him the roughs so that you know I was making sure that I was somewhere along the line but and and then you would take away the scribbles because you knew there was something you were getting out of them but you weren't exactly sure what it was but 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 that, that was just oh my god it was I mean I should I wish I had one to hand that I could show you the, the, the thing was um but he was brilliant to work with because you, you talked all this stuff out and then um um and a lot of the other directors it's it's basically asking questions. If you're working with somebody who is um, is not really explaining it too well to you, you ask questions. You know, you 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 don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, uh, like, wait your time. Let them finish what they're talking about, and then ask them the question if it's if it's a problem that you're having. You know, um, uh, ask about this piece. Um, do you mean? Am I am I meant to draw it from this angle or this angle or what? Or do we have our you know are we are we tracking this character when this happens? You, you try to talk through it the way the script is shown it to you, but also on listening to the director. It's very important to listen to the director and just get as much information down as you can possibly get. Very politely, get it down there. Um, and uh, and then go away and draw it. You, you know the the um, um, because the thing is, 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 some folks are you know some po- folks their heads are going in many different directions. They've got an awful lot of things to deal with on, on this. So you're trying to make it easier. You want to make them certain that you've actually got some of their information in your head. You've got some of their information down on paper. And again, the lovely thing is when you've drawn it and it needs its changes, they they're more precise then because they can see the way it's it's going and they can see the bits of them in what they've asked you for. But it's it's just important to listen. Yeah. For somebody who talks a lot, it's actually hilarious to say about listening. <laughs> Any recommendations and good sources to learn about storyboarding? You see, this is a difficult one because. 
Um, we had that question before as well, so yeah. Okay, well, the, the, the thing about sorry, because I haven't I haven't read all of these. The thing about it is, um, when I you know a lot of students would ask me about um, how do I get your job, basically how do I get into what you do, and, and the, the the thing is I didn't I didn't go to to um, a university to learn about storyboarding at all. You know, storyboarding was a fluke that came about because of my comic strip work. Because I had gone years and years and years of comic strips, I was already into how I told stories. Now, the point was that my telling stories was informed by um, all of the film that I'd ever watched, all of the TV I'd ever watched. You know, whenever I was doing my own comic strips, a lot of them, uh, they would be, uh, in it, in it, aiming towards the more realistic side of, of drawing. And that's based on so much of the film information that I would have seen. So for me to have gone through all that and then ended up doing storyboarding work was, you know, it's kind of an interesting circle. But the point mm -hmm. is when I started to do the storyboarding work, it was something that um, I was informing from my ability to read a script and imagine it in my head and then actually draw the stuff. And of course, if I've been given a free hand to do that, it's one of those things where you, um, you're totally working from your own imagination from reading a script. So if you can picture images from reading a book, you're partway there. You, you you know and I listen. I am the thing is that this is one of the reasons why I, I'm very. It's very bad for me to be able to. I mean, for me to even think. Well, what can I advise from the point of view of you know reference books to this? Because the problem is, I never read any to do storyboarding, and that was because I was already doing comic strip work. And as I say, it just seemed to be a sideways step and a slightly differing thought process from the point of view that you were constantly aware of, of, you know, how do cameras move and so on. And the crazy thing was I only realized really how cameras moved when I started to work on my own uh, directing side of things and realizing, I mean, especially during the commercials, I was working with a, with a cameraman who was brilliant, who suddenly you knew that you could track and you could boom and you could you know, uh, push oh, yeah. in and you could move back all within the same motion within a camera. And, and then you're realizing, wait a minute, I'm not restricted to this setup, that setup, this, you know, you know, it was, it was like you start to realize more. And I only realized that from actually doing directing side of things and working stuff out uh, that then uh, a cameraman would talk to me about and said, we could link these together. And then you go, Oh, of course you can, you can do that. But, Saying that, there are probably a couple of brilliant books or, or uh, even um, internet courses that are out there um, that there must be other storyboard artists who have actually done these things. Um, my, my stuff, you see, I mean, I've, there's a book of Game of Thrones storyboards that's out there um, that was really nice that suddenly, you know, boom, uh, there's a bunch of the boards in a book. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not complete, but it, but the point is there. There's a lot of storyboards, so you can actually see. Okay, this is him telling the story, but the, the problem with that is, um, uh, I guess you're not necessarily seeing the way my head's thinking totally, and uh, because they they've picked through things, you're maybe not getting the full flow of it. But you do see the way some things are broken down. 
Um, I'm sure. Um, I mean, I even reference some stuff on the net sometimes when I want to understand what a particular shot's meant to be because I don't remember them all. You know, it's it's like so the pe people in different countries will use different terms uh, for a particular shot that you know one way, and somebody else yeah. is using a term that you're having to think, what does that actually mean? And then you're going, oh yeah, that's da 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 da, and yeah. um, uh, you know, it's it's something you just gradually learn with the more people that you work with, but. Um, you know, th th there has to be a list somewhere of best storyboarding information books out there, I guess. But the thing that I, I would advise, no matter what you read, I think I think if there's stories that you're interested in, I think sit down and try and imagine what they would look like to you. You know, try try and um, work out what happens next. How does it happen? Where do I have to go in on a close up? Where's the where's the emphasis on these things? Um, how do I break that down? See that stuff that I do in comic strips. Except in comic strips, you're picking you're picking the most defining shot. You're hoping that that tells the information. You're not getting to see sometimes a lot of the information that's leading to it or going away from it. Although again, yeah. even in comic strips, we can do that by breaking panels up so that you can have a movement of somebody very cinematically in the same space that you would use you know for one shot one shot whatever um but but all of that is is a question of you if you watch a lot of films if you then understand how they work by watching them uh, and you're interested in storyboarding then take a take a story that you've got like even if it's a film script or a book a novel try breaking down a novel page oh my god the amount of of information that is in one page of a novel um be drawing for days because the thing is a, a novel is different from a film script but it's a great it's a great tool to, to actually go from printed words into the imagination onto paper and um and i think uh, i think it's one of those I mean, I mean, there's sometimes we've we've done things like this, uh, little mini classes um, at events where, you know, you get an audience to, you read out a certain part of a script and you get an audience to sit and draw a piece of uh, work based on what you've just read out. And it's very interesting to see what people come up with. Now, it's, it's also very interesting to see what a couple of storyboard professionals come up with when they're handed the same script. And um, sometimes it, what's really interesting is how close their minds are when it comes, mm -hmm. it's almost like there's a certain set of logical steps that you need to put down in the script before you have got a director's interpretation put into it, you know, where suddenly he, he's or she's invented a reason to get to the point where you're starting your drawing. And so you're coming back of a bird or you're, or you're, you're yeah. zooming across an ocean somewhere and suddenly you find your characters at the end of that. But if you take the written word and break the written word down, you will have certain information that will be obvious in your head and go with it. Put that down. But but I think it's a bit of practice, really. Um, you're going to have to find that list. There must be a list of storyboard things. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have a book. I don't have one of my own that I can say, here's the storyboard course by William Simpson, you know, because because I, I don't even know if, how to interpret what's in my head sometimes. But I can explain it. It's in front of you. Would you recommend reading graphic novels and comic books as maybe you know potentially like a starting point? I think it's uh, it's a really good thing because a lot of the the artwork is stunning. Um, but also, 
the good ones kind of will have stunning artwork, but also will be able to tell you the story. You will be able to see storytelling. You will be able to understand storytelling based on, on a lot of that stuff. Um, there's uh, now there are good books on comic storytelling. Um, again, there's one uh, Dave Gibbons, Tim Pilcher did. Um, uh, I even got it over there. Um, How comics work uh, is is a book that that would be of interest. And there's also is it Scott McCloud? Is it that did his brilliant series of books? And I mean, there's there's I mean, if uh, there's one of there's an artist called Howard Ch um, Chaikin that if you look at his work, I mean, his mixture of sound with lettering uh, against um, uh, his very realistic kind of characters um, in whatever insane sci-fi world they're in is very interesting because again it's, it's it's unique storytelling but if you can look at the, so the, the 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 lettering on the sound you can hear it in your head in a way that you know loud sounds are loudly lettered they're big on a page and mm -hmm. and in Hey, that's that, but that's like that's like us trying to prepare sound for a film where you you have to you've got you've got a sense of what you need to come in at certain times. It's like where do you start music or end music in a film piece? You know, a lot of that is all down to you know what what feels right here and so on. But you, yes, immerse yourself in watching lots of film and also lots of comic books, I guess. Um, because comic books, a lot of comic books, there's certain periods of comic history where the influence for the comics is from film and it's finding those artists, I think, I mean, there's definitely certain artists that, that, that would make sense and, and looking at, at books that have a more realistic storytelling, um, it, 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 you know, it kind of, it, it, it carries you along very, very well. I mean, I didn't realize when I started doing the animation stuff as well, that I, I suddenly developed um, an animation style uh, for mm -hmm. the stuff we were doing because we were designing a lot of the stuff. But again, you kind of were breaking the animation stuff down into, you know, what are you wanting to see on screen? You know, what? but it, but again, it was like key images. I, and I didn't get into doing all of the in-betweens. I was doing the sort of very key drawings to 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 see what we're, you know, where we're getting to with stuff. Um, what about CGI? What you, <laughs> how do you factor how do you factor in CGI when it comes to storyboarding? Because well, like, you know, you know, you're gonna end up having dragons, or like yep. you said before, the mix of prosthetics and CGI for the White Walkers. Yeah. How does that influence the storyboarding process? Well, it's one of those things where you don't have to draw um, with the concerns in mind initially basically you draw the storyboard just like you're telling any story that just happens to have dragons in it and happens to have um um you know whatever other creatures are going to be are going to appear cgi but the thing about it is every drawing that you do ends up costing a lot more money because yeah. you know anything with cgi in it um you know it's like a twenty thousand dollar hit on that plot and so the thing is that that you're so you draw the story and usually you do the first version of it where there's there's you know you're going by the script and if the script asks for dragons here and dragons there and dragons everywhere you know you're you're putting them in as mm. it makes sense within the, in the storyboard but again 
if you've been doing it for a long time, you, you have a tendency to be very aware somewhere in the back of your head that we don't need to see a dragon in this frame. You know, we don't need to see a dragon in that frame. So, you you, you know, you're going with, with live actors. But most of the time, the directors know that they're limited to how many CGI shots they can have. Because uh, some of the early boards um, that I did with different directors um, on, on Game of Thrones, we have, you know, lots of, of images where, you know, CGI elements are going to be there. And you gradually, when you come back to do the second version, you're taking out a lot of those um, images or you're, or you're planning them to fit into um, one image where, you know, that's the image that the dragon's going to be flying around in the background and you're not changing the shot. You're, you know, it's this shot and you've got a dragon moving around, coming close, whatever, because that's all the CGI guys doing it, embedding it into the piece of film that has been shot. So mm -hmm. I, my concern is only when a director tells me we have to do these seven shots in two. So mm -hmm. we have to find a way of where are we shooting these from so that we can get as much information in as possible, but it's within two shots rather than seven shots, seven setups. Yeah. So, so it's it's um again that this is what I'm saying. What where, where my my set of things was always really great because it was just me with a director working out stuff, drawing it all up, and then it would be the second approach where it would be close to what you were going to see on screen. So essentially, so you become more economic as an artist as well. The more time you spend on a series like this, you you look you kind of get a judgment thing going on, I think, in your head where you know where it's just nonsense to add in too much stuff. If, if um, I mean, again, it's a storyboard. It's not it's not the the photographic shot. It's it's a storyboard. It's a, it's a it's got all of the story elements in there, but it's not a perfect painting or anything. It's not it's not. See, this is the difference between storyboards and, and comic books. A storyboard, you're you're telling the whole story that's going to be on screen, but you don't have to draw it like a comic strip page. You know, you don't have to put in all of the details that you need to put into a comic strip page because, um, you know, you know, one thing about a comic strip page is it, it shows more, I guess, your style of doing something because the whole point is the readership has to buy into your style of, of a comic page. They have to believe in that world that you're helping to create on a page. And, um, and again, you as an artist have to get better at every single panel you draw. You want it to be a better panel than the one before. You want it to be, you know, to tell the story first, but to be drawn as well as you possibly can draw it. Within a storyboard, a lot of the time you can get away with, um, you know, a, a, an indication of something. It's there. You can see it's there, but it's not done in, in absolute detail. Now, there's, there's some of my storyboards are more detailed than other storyboards that I've done. And, and that's just because, you know, you maybe had a little bit more time and also you were really interested in that sequence that you were drawing. So you 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 kind of had more effort invested in it. And then there's other ones where, you know, we need a quick turnaround and it needs to be in tomorrow. And you basically are drawing for speed rather than drawing for um, perfect imagery. So that so you'll see it. Fluctuation. I mean, that's it's, it's just a fact of, of what the boards are. There's a fluctuation. You can't. Well, I can't uh, make them absolutely perfect all the time. 
How long does it take to prepare a storyboard for one episode? That uh, is basically how long is a piece of string? Because the point is that some episodes needed more storyboarding than other episodes. And um, again, if we're talking about the Game of Thrones stuff, um, you know, some directors didn't need very much in the line of storyboarding. A particular episode might be more about characters talking in a room. And, uh, and so really, it was unnecessary to 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 spend the time on some of those things um so it's why it's why when when you see uh versions of the episodes um and you know you're looking for storyboard information they don't necessarily have lots of the information mm -hmm. you're looking for because it was different things that you had to do um so i'm sorry there's no way of me guessing i i just know that i usually did six months on game of thrones you know, I would go in on day one and I'd read the scripts through day one, day two. And uh, then I'd be, I'd start drawing on something and um, I would end up at the end of six months getting my little letter saying, thank you very much for all your work, goodbye. And, and off you walked into the distance. But the point was over that time period, there would be there would be periods where there was really lots and lots and lots of work and you were, you were staying late at the office and things. And then there were other times where you were able to catch up time because there wasn't much taking place because it was all so much on the basis of um when you would get to see the directors when you would get to talk to them how you would um you know get a chance to work this stuff out um but in that six month period i mean they, they figured it was necessary for me to be there and um you know you just kept on working through it so again it's like if you took one of those scripts as an episode and sat down and drew everything on it um, know there's a lot of stuff in there like a film script so i mean you could be yeah you could be quite a while like a, you know you could be a month on a script like that anyway without any trouble because there, there, there's so much stuff in it so the point is you're getting scenes you're getting you know scenes here and there i mean there's other films i've been on where again you've, you've worked for maybe two months on a feature film and, and that's done everything that needed to be done i did a movie um i did two movies uh in northern ireland that I storyboarded three quarters of the film. Um, one was a That's movie called. It, it, it's a lot, but it, but it was it was the nature of of what um, what it was going to be like. There's a film called Morgan, which was directed by Luke, yeah. Scott, who is Ridley Scott's um, son, and yeah. um, and it was one where I went in for my first two meetings with Luke, and we we discussed um, certain uh, scenes. I went away and drew them, came back to him, we discussed more, went away came back and he said, William, look, you know what you're doing. Can you just go and draw up the rest of the movie and then I'll, I'll work my way through it and see what I can um, what I can use because I've got all these other things to concentrate on because because Morgan was a lower budget movie. And so I did that. I, I sat in my room. I, I came in every day for work and just drew more scene, more scene, more scene, more scene and continued through this, the, the story. And there's a lot of the stuff when i see the movie i'm looking at it going oh wow you know there's there's a lot of bits in there and yeah. um and it was really it was really nice because he didn't need uh everything um uh, to be sat over he knew that he could look at that stuff i think and know that he could decide okay we want the camera in a different position but all the information's there so it was it was kind of it was kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, I'd love to talk to him about it now and find out what you know what way he did approach it. And then there was another movie called um, it was Halo, the live action Halo film, 
that I did three quarters of the storyboards and that that was with going in and talking to the director but again there's a lot of there's a lot of freewheeling through the script you know getting from a bit to a bit and then when I went back to the director he would know well we, we're going to chop out this bit or we're going to take out this bit and do something else here but three quarters of that film uh, I got to do as well which was kind of interesting that doesn't always happen a lot of the time it's how does you know how the shot lists influence the storyboards at all? You know, in any case, I, I, they they do in a way um, because the director will usually have some kind of shot list that he wants, or, um, or, and they they give me the information. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not the final shot list that I think they make up after boards are done and stuff because there's a lot of the time of course they'll have the board the storyboard section of a, uh, of a scene but then they'll have other parts of the scene that haven't been drawn and yeah. a lot of the just have a list because it's like you know it's a it's a headshot it's it's over shoulder one you know yeah. looking at, at whoever the other person is over shoulder two looking back um there'll be a set of stuff that that, that will be um uh probably within a shot list form I, I sometimes wonder: Do this? Uh, does it? Is it the director that sits with the storyboards, um, and nobody else sees them? But then I just answered my own question in my head because a lot of the time on Game of Thrones, the storyboards would be up on a big board, and the director would be marking them off as he got the, the, the or she got the section of shots. They would be taking them, boom, 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 just working their way through, and um, and that was kind of interesting to to know that uh, you know that's a that's a way of doing it because I know with again with me. I had done that because I just I wasn't certain of my confidence level when I started off. So I needed to know that I got these shots. So I would have yeah. my storyboard list with me and, and, and have worked out what I needed. And, um, and then I would sit and go through them and putting an X through things because I knew I'd got them. So, yeah, so it's, it's a shot lists. Yeah, it's another part of the thing, really, because, I mean, of course, directors can do a whole movie with just shot lists and no storyboards. Um, True. I've worked with Neil Jordan um, three times, and it's very, been very interesting because Neil's only needed a few things storyboarded in any of the movies. So normally, I only get about a month working with, with, with Neil Jordan. And um, but what's been interesting working with him is he's got the whole film in his head. You know, I mean, he he knows what he wants, and so he only gets things that that, that, that kind of have um, uh, a certain combination of elements taking place. And that may have a continual shot somewhere or whatever and um and if it's a you know if it's an action thing i think it's more to convince the um producers possibly that he's thought it all out but most of it is head. i mean the, the, the reason that i asked that question was because uh as a director like my approach would be to you know what i've done so far has been like shortlist the entire thing and then see which ones do i really need storyboard which ones would yeah. benefit the cost and crew you know seeing uh, drawn as some sort of picture instead of yeah. me having to you know, go uh, 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 explain the same thing over and over again multiple times. So, yeah, go look at the picture. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Do you see the way the frame is there? Do you see where the characters are? That's what we're shooting. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. But see, then maybe you see in a lot of cases the, the director may well have the shot list um, uh, that he's explaining to producers about. And when when they're asking me to do the drawings, they've already thought out, um, you know, what those shots may be. Um, I would assume that that's probably the case. You know, I mean, um, it's just that it's something that I don't often have to deal with, but I yeah. can. 
I can. You see, a, a lot of a lot of the stuff's not now. I mean, there's, especially with with the world of Zoom and so on. I've been doing. I'm, I'm working on a, a film at the moment, and um, the thing is, uh, I'm drawing scenes. I have a discussion with the director. Usually, I draw up a version of the scene, then I send it across him. So he's got that to look at um, uh-huh. while he's then coming back to me and explaining the angle that he wants and so on. And it's 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 really it's really nice way of doing things. It's just um, you know you you kind of usually do two versions of it you do the first version which is just coming out of my head and then you get the second version which is coming out of that uh, combination of things that make sense uh, and luckily uh, there's there's less stress on that one at the moment but um, um yeah we also have you know uh, certain uh, softwares which are helpful for storyboarding as well like uh, 3d softwares which have you know recently taken over storyboarding in the process as it like uh they help you basically reconstruct the scene in 3d and yeah. see you know how it could be uh i guess changed in real time yeah what's your thought and you know, what do you think about that like and the future of storyboarding um i just think there's a possibility that uh i get less work <laughs> <laughs> so i gotta go and direct something no the the thing is, um, you know, because because on Game of Thrones we were we were kind of working um, in a way like that. That um, the director would talk to me, so I would draw up the storyboards that the director was explaining to me. Then they would impart the information that they wanted to the CGI department, who would be constructing some of the elements in a three D environment. Um, now. Sometimes the, the CGI department would rush ahead of things because the producers at the top were asking, "Where, um, you know, have you talked about this bit of the job, or this bit of the job, or this bit of the job?" And sometimes the director may not have talked about that bit of the job, and the CGI department would rush ahead, and then the director and I would have a chat, and I would draw up the boards for for the director. And the director would then go back to the CGI department and say, no, this is all wrong. I don't want this. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. Here's the board. Let's do this. Uh-huh. And so, so, the, so the point is, there's an awful lot of patience needed. Um, patience and work fast and hard to get information through. And sometimes you step on each other's toes in, in, in different departments. But CGI... So many movies now. I mean, I mean, I don't think Marvel could ever do a movie without CGI I and mean, a version of the storyboard. I guess, um, and that's not a, that's not a criticism. It's just the fact that there's so many elements involved. And one of the great things with CGI is you are getting to see a version where all of the elements are moving and they're moving in positions that you see how they look on the frame so i suppose you're getting a perfect frame before it's acted out but then you know it, it does make you wonder how much of the or how many elements have to change once the actors get into position and do their thing um but it's it's you know it it, it walks hand in hand with um filmmaking now i mean uh if you've got the money to do cgi version fantastic sometimes maybe that's it you know there maybe isn't the the money in place to do a big cgi version of the piece um although there's a lot of quick cgi um operators uh what are your options not giving equal gender equality uh, options in work i think it should be opinions uh what are your opinions on that i think it's a more general filmmaking question i guess so in, in not giving equal gender 
Not giving it to, to me, whoever's good for the job is is who gets the job, really. Um, and I think I think it's more down to the treatment of the people that get the jobs. You know, do you treat people properly or do you not? To me, gender isn't an issue. Um, for, I mean, I mean, in the world that I live in, it's like if somebody's uh, male, female, or in between, it's it's kind of like you know, go for it. I mean, if you're good at what you do, you're going to do it. Um, the the um, the the I've seen gender issues on set and i've seen gender issues um around the working system on, a, on, a, on filmmaking but i've seen the same issues in the working world of comic strips and i've seen the same issues in people in shops you know the the the, the problem is our world's thinking is is off and um the more uh, i guess the more gender is discussed uh, the better it is for gender but the point is um nobody should be uh out of the running for a job depending on what um, what gender they are i mean it shouldn't be a case that all guys get jobs or all girls get jobs i mean all women get jobs whatever it's it's like there, there, there's a need for the skill levels of the people that are that are applying for a job to get the job and I, i'm afraid you know the way the world's going at the moment we're kind of going back in some ways to a time when you had to be good at your craft. And um, I don't see that as a bad thing either in some respects, because there's a long period of time where um, based on just the qualifications that somebody had, they got a job, but they may not have been actually very good at the practical use of or doing of that job. And we're in a, we're in a weird situation, you know, where I, I remember one of the things that I was told years ago was that it was, there was a period of time where the, the film viewing public were only interested supposedly in male heroes, you know, male action heroes. That was what they went to see. It wasn't why I went to see a movie. It just so happened that it may have been a movie with a male action hero or something in it. But I was more interested in seeing how the actors worked, how they performed. And, um, you know, the, I mean, my, my DVD collection is is definitely not male action heroes and that's it. But I get so bored. I get so bored with that. I want I want interesting lives, and I want brilliant actors portraying them. And um, I mean, some of my well, a lot of my favorite films end up with um, women lead characters that just take over. They're just brilliant. And the same thing with um, music. So, um, so what can I say about it? You know, to me, I don't have a problem with what gender anybody is, and I think everybody has the chance to. Um, and, and be fairly paid as well that's the other thing you know if you're doing the same job as um if it's if this is a question of female to male if you're doing the same job as your male counterpart and they're getting paid more um, that's not really a good sign you know one of the great things working with hbo was that hbo had every gender under the sun um and a few that i didn't even know about mixed in there that the thing was that that everybody worked together and People that were at the top were the people that were good at their jobs. Um, all the way, all the way through um, the HBO crew, you know, people. It was based on what can you do. I mean, that's. I mean, it's one of the reasons. I mean, I'd love to to do more with them, but I mean, it's one of the reasons why. You know, I I I just love that. I just love the fact that it was it was so balanced, and you went into work feeling great because you know everybody was just working away together. But there's there's issues that will not go away at the moment. I mean, we as a planet need to change, not um, not individual um, working systems, because they they will alter as people change. So 
you know, to me, there's equality. There should be equality in everything. Final question for tonight, because we've almost run out of time and we're kind of going over time too, but that's fine. Any advice for aspiring young artists, comic book artists, or storyboarding artists? Any advice? Oh, man. Um, comic book, art, book artists and storyboard artists, if, if your style, uh, I guess for comic book artists, if your style is a realistic style, then constantly inform yourself by realism. Be watching, you know, fill your head with movie images, fill your head with with um, a world that you can see outside, you know, um, reference it all the time. Get out with a camera, have a camera with you all the time. I mean, everybody does with their phone now. Take things that you think are interesting, just from somebody standing in the street to, to flip in, um, you know, vehicles going past to buildings, to the way shadow falls, to, you know, light and shadow, everything. Because to me, that's the big information that you need in your arsenal as somebody who's trying to convince somebody else to believe in the world that they're creating. Um, cartoon work, again, um, cartoon comic work. Um, and I, I uh, you know, to me, it's, there's a difference in um, the realism style and the cartoon style. Um, you know, the cartoon style has got to be energetic and fun and, and so on. It's aiming at a, at a slightly different audience most of the time. And, and that's just, Again, that, that's a that's a skill that's developed from from uh, developing a style. Now, style comes from our mistakes. One of one of one of the one of the biggest things that that, that we have going for us is a flawed style that people like. If we if we create drawings that people like, the reason why they like those drawings over somebody else's drawings is because of the weird flaws in the way you see the world because they're coming out in the artwork that you do that's your style you know if we all were perfect artists we'd all be drawing exactly the same way and the only thing that would make a difference is is which viewpoint we had taken but this is one of the things that i love about i mean it's one of the reasons why i've got a rack full of books back there and another rack over here full of books and i was somewhere out, out the back is that um to me um there's so many art styles that are so beautiful to look at and, and their approach to doing artwork is so incredible. So, you know, the style comes out of our flaws. I mean, it's, 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 it's very human. It's very real. So you go out and analyze the world, you go and see the world and you take photos of the world and you take, you, you, you have your own reference of the world. Not, it's not all from somebody else's viewpoint, you know, what somebody else has seen. Now, filmmaking, and it's certainly, I've been watching a ton of film noir, old black and white um, uh, Hollywood films and other things. I just got a batch of Kurosawa to watch. I've got this big, big uh, uh, thing out. There was a job I was going to be on and uh, one of the reference points was Kurosawa. So I went out and bought a load of movies. Then the job fell through, but I've got the movies. Anyway, the point is I'm going to be watching those at some point because I, um, they're, they're, there's, I, I've seen them before, but there's this beauty about the, the the way a story is constructed and told that you see in movies but again it's about the drawing side of it it's about um you know film noir is great for shadows and light and you know if we if we can make more color films that are in shadows and light like the the um uh the old movies the, the, there's a certain different quality that sometimes we miss out because color we get away with a lot of things in color you know um there's a beautiful film it's a beautiful film a vampire film um, and again, I'll get, I know I'm going to get this title wrong, but it's something like The Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, something like that. And the, it, the Iranian it, film, yeah. 
Yes, and it yeah. filmed in in Los Angeles or something, I think. And it's and it's um, it's this beautiful letterbox format film, and it is stunning visually to to look at. It's just the most gorgeous film. It's a crazy, quirky story, but it's brilliant to see. So, okay, so that's um, uh, right. That was the we were comic booking there. If you want to be a storyboard artist doing feature films or doing films or or, or anything. Um, Obviously, if you're a cartoon artist, you know, you aim towards animation or something because that's where your style is more suited. But if you're if you're a realism drawer and you want to get into uh, film storyboarding, you've got to, have to draw a lot of stuff first, I think. And um, I think one of the greatest things is getting onto short films, you, you know, go in and do offer your services to somebody um, to storyboard a short film, not another feature, just because. The shorts give you an opportunity to learn how to how to draw a ten minute script. You know how how how, how to like usually maximum their ten anyway. How how, how to keep uh, stuff tight. How to understand um, what visuals you need. But also, I think um, again, it's informing yourself constantly by film. And you see, one of the reasons I talk about the older films is that they tell a story in a way that everything counts uh, everything that's there on screen counts and and it's 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 a very methodical way of telling a story but it's beautiful there's so much stuff going on in them modern films are great but they're they're super edited they're super fast editing a lot of the time and you're and you're it's a very different approach to it um and a lot of the time you know that's the handheld camera approach really i mean the, the 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 fast editing the movement of things and it's it's great but it's uh, in a way, there's a fundamental set of steps to learn. And a lot of the time you'll see those in the older movies and watch any Hitchcock movies. Hitchcock storyboarded everything. He storyboarded his frames. I mean, there there, there are books out there of Hitchcock's thinking. There's a especially good one, I think, that's about Alfred Hitchcock's approach to, to filmmaking because one of the things that Hitchcock always said was he got bored with the actual filming process because he'd already made the film on paper first he had worked it all out so every day he would go in and it'd be like okay we're going to go for the shower scene today you know or the next three days or whatever and um so we need to get that close-up of the knife coming in that's what we're doing first and blah 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 and then okay now we're going on to water in the shower whatever it is anyway the point being that he had already got those shots drawn. And so it's like we were saying, if you've got those up in the wall somewhere and you're seeing, you know, these are the shots I need because they tell me the whole film, you, mm. you then it's easy to film it. So, you know, you cannot do wrong with looking at, at some of the some of the early Hitchcock films and um, things like Psycho, things like Rear Window is brilliant because again, it's one man in a room, but you're seeing everything across the room, across the the the, the um, uh, garden type area, and um, there's there's um, there's a lot of his films that that, that are great um, for for just understanding um, the way film works and why he cuts away to something else. Um, uh, but I would, but yeah, I, I would, I would indulge in and try to find the films that you think are the best example of a film that you want to watch. Because, you know, I mean, I, I one of the great things I have in, in this lockdown is I've watched so many films. I've also seen so many things that I realized, oh, that's not good. 
but that's great to actually know why you think it's not good you know why you think that film doesn't work sometimes it's performances sometimes it's just lame storytelling you know so uh it's always a worry even saying these things because if you ever did get the chance where somebody turns around and said right you're directing your first feature film and then you're going to go oh my god <laughs> you know am i going to have all this bad storytelling in it and you're hoping that you're not going to um but, but um now there's a practice thing as well, practice, practice, practice. But I do think for film stuff, the best steps are starting to work in film. So, so if you know anybody that's making a short, if you've got friends that are making a short that you can actually help out in, you know, go and do it. Um, and if people have got money that they're paying, brilliant. I mean, Jesus, they have to, you know, have to at least feed you. But the thing, thing is, because some of my first things that I did in film, I did as a spec. You know, I, I did them for very little money or I did them for um, just because I liked the project and it was only going to be a couple of days out of my life. And I thought I'd like to see this project made. Then when I started to do the stuff for myself, now I can spend as much time as I want on the work that I do for myself, which is also a good thing. If you're a filmmaker that can draw, that can work out your stuff, work it out for yourself and go and make your film. I mean, and I know in COVID it's, it's it's a slightly more difficult option. I know there's probably restrictions in places because there certainly are over here, but there's still things that you can do to construct a film on the basis of what you can go out and do. You know, we're told we're allowed to walk. You know, we're allowed to go out and walk the dog or something. And the thing about that is that if I can get rid of some of the work that I'm actually doing at the moment, if I can finish it, it means that one of these days I'm going to go out looking for my lights and shadows and whatever and try and uh, come up with some avant-garde movie that allows me to actually make a film because <laughs> because I do like that. I mean, it won't be something particularly that anybody's going to see, but it'll be something that I'll be happy making. So, awesome. I, okay. That's that's fantastic, William. Thank you so much for joining in. Well, that, that, I, I, I'm still swimming. Like yeah, I gotta, I gotta uh, sit and let it <laughs> sink in. I guess. Thank you well, so much. There's a million years of stuff I could keep talking about. So um, now it's been lovely. Thank you very much. Okay, so Sri Lanka. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much, William. See you again soon. All right. Take it easy.